0: I thought it would be cheesy, um, but the principles of that video um, is where we're going today. How many recall the title of the message that I spoke a little bit more than, just just a little more than a month ago? Anyone remember it was, I'll give you a refresher. Um, it opened with Pastor Andrew uh, giving us uh, a bit of an intro, and near the end, he had said a phrase, four words, and it was the title of the message. Anyone remember? It starts with an M, the first and the last word. That's right, majoring on the majors. You may recall, and if not, I will refresh your memory. Uh, I had, part of my conclusion of that message, I had said, it's time for us, the disciples of Christ, to major on the majors, to heed the commands of the Father and God the Son, to point others to the kingdom of God and to invite people to also follow Jesus. We, the church, should be pointing people to follow Jesus and to live out God's plans in their lives. We, God's people, are called to love God and to love others as Jesus commanded Anything else is a minor thing and should not be, should not be allowed to get in our way, should not be allowed to dilute Christ's given message. And um, over the last month, Pastor Andrew spent time looking at The message of Advent, the uh, reminders that are brought through that time and uh, woven through the last month and especially the last message that Pastor Andrew spoke before uh, he left on vacation was uh, the topic of discipleship. Our mission statement is, as a church, our mission statement is written on our website. It's written on the banner that's on the front wall in the lobby. It says, we exist to exalt God in everything. Engage people with the gospel. Equip people as followers of Christ and empower everyone for ministry I'm sure I could say that off by heart, but I second-guessed myself, so I wrote it down just in case I froze under pressure. And this 4E mission statement, it's interwoven into the fabric of who we are. And interwoven into that fabric is the idea, the Christ-taught idea of discipleship it was a directive that was given by Jesus Christ himself in Matthew 28:18 through 20 i read this verse this these few verses the end of my message just over a month ago and Jesus came and said to them all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me go therefore and make disciples of all nations Baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We got to witness Daniela being baptized. She has been someone that we've been working on discipling for years now. We got to witness her being baptized last week. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And this brings me to today's message A Case for Discipleship. If you have your Bibles or your Bible apps at home or in the place today, we're going to be turning to the book of Mark, and it's chapter 8. Mark is over halfway through your Bible in the New Testament. And we're looking at verses 31 38. Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 38. And it says, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. We just literally celebrated that. And he said this plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, "Get behind me, Satan! For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man." And calling the crowd to him, and sorry, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them. If anyone would come before me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. For what does it profit man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul for whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the son of man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his father with the holy angels Discipleship isn't an easy process. At times, it has its fun parts. Uh, at times, it feels really easy. But uh, discipleship, more times than not, requires commitment. It requires what I call crazy devotion. John Payton is relatively unknown in Christianity today. He served for 10 years as a pastor of a growing Scottish church. And it was a long time ago from uh, 1824 through 1907. Anyone alive then? Didn't think so. But God began to burden his heart for the new hybrids. Or he, Hebrides. I'm really good at pronunciation of names. If you've been here with me for three years, it's one of my best things. A group. It's a the easiest thing to way to put it. It's a group of people in the Pacific Islands, and they're a group of people filled with uh, cannibalistic people who had no knowledge of the gospel. So, we're really pleasant vacation spot. And so John set his heart on this particular island this one particular island and so 20 years earlier two other missionaries had gone to the island and it hadn't gone that well their vacation was ruined when they were killed and cannibalized tends to take the joy out of the vacation or being a missionary in their case and so When John announced that he felt this pull to this one particular island in the Pacific region, needless to say, there was many that tried to dissuade Peyton from following in these missionaries' footsteps. Peyton wrote, among many who sought to deter me was this one dear old Christian gentleman whose crowning argument was, the cannibals, you'll be eaten by the cannibals. Peyton replied to this man, Mr. Dickinson, you are advanced in years now, and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. This is in a direct quote of what Peyton said to Mr. Dickinson. You are advanced in years now, and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. I'm sure if uh, Pastor Andrew or I were to say something like that to the more wise and years of this congregation, we'd probably get slapped in the face. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, It will make no difference to me whether I am eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in the great day, my resurrection body will arise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. And then as the story goes, true story, the old man left the room exclaiming, After that, I have nothing more to say. And then at the age of 33, Peyton traveled to this island in the South Pacific with his wife, and the journey was not easy. Unfortunately, his wife and his newborn child, they passed away with, within months of arriving. And he found himself all alone, digging their graves with his bare hands, he faced threat after threat upon his life. But in the years to come, countless cannibals across the region came to trust the gospel of Jesus Christ. And because of his commitment to the discipleship of this difficult, in this difficult area of the world, there are churches across Australia, Scotland, and the Western world that were challenged to rise up and make gospel known among peoples who are, quote, the toughest, the most difficult, the most impossible to reach. That it's not, it's not worth my time because it's too hard. And so I ask you, does this does this devotion seem to you to be too radical, to be too extreme, to be too crazy. And if you say, yeah, that is too extreme, that is too difficult, it's too crazy, I say to you, we need to stop and think about the crazy love that Jesus has for us. Jesus, the Christ, as Mark 8 29 put it, came to earth to die, This says in verse 31. And to Peter, to even me, this is crazy talk. Like why in the world would someone so perfect come and do this? Peter, he didn't understand that Jesus came to give his life as a ransom for many, as it says in Mark 10, verse 45. And so if Jesus was willing to give up his life for my and your salvation, what should you be willing to give up for him? The gospel moves us to total, complete as much as humanly possible, 100% devotion of our lives to Jesus Christ and what he commanded of us, not asked of us. If you go back and watch that message, Majoring on the Majors, there was no polite request of Jesus Christ. It was a command to go forth and make disciples of all people no matter how crazy or difficult it may seem, it's crazy devotion. We are saved by grace through faith, faith apart from works, Ephesians says. But we can't experience God's grace without having a complete heart change. And in order to see our hearts completely changed and to see ourselves become. Christ like, that requires crazy devotion. But it's sad. It's sad that in Western society where Christianity is so deeply woven into the foundations of the United States, of Canada, of Britain, where we have been around for more than a hundred years in different denominations, more than 200 years in different denominations, that the idea of complete devotion still seems crazy to us. When it's such a foundation to what Jesus asked of us. Where have we gone wrong as a church, as Christians, is such a foundational thing to our faith as discipleship and complete devotion seems too hard, seems too crazy. Is it any wonder that Not just the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada, but many other denominations, evangelical or otherwise, are in decline because it still seems to be a crazy notion to so many to devote ourselves to Christ. And no doubt, moving on to part two. The demands of discipleship at times can be great and at times can be heavy. Simply put, to be a disciple of Jesus is a follower of Jesus, i.e., a Christian. Maybe it's not as difficult as we made it out to be. I was being a little bit facetious with my previous statement. Maybe it isn't as heavy as we made it out to be. It's become a mindset. We become our own worst enemy. We put barriers in our own way that don't necessarily have to be barriers because we made the task greater than it needs to be. Let me repeat what I just said Simply put, to be a disciple of Jesus is to be a follower of Jesus, i.e., a Christian. Who here is a Christian? If you're a Christian, say me or put your hand up in chat if you're watching online. Jesus didn't try to lure people to discipleship with false promises. He didn't try to, like, secretly attach a hook to a string to pull people in and say, I gotcha! You're now my disciple. And he also didn't claim that following him was going to be 100% walk in the park. But Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Jesus gave three demands of discipleship. Number one, Deny yourself. Number two, take up your cross. And number three, follow me. One, two, three. Three step process. Most people can count to three. It's not quite as difficult as ten. Nowhere near as difficult as a twenty step process. It's a three step process. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow me. John Scott in English anglican theologian writes deny oneself is to turn away from idolatry of self-centeredness not quite as complicated eh as we may have made the idea of denying myself it's to turn away from the idolatry of self-centeredness what does that mean of catering to myself, what makes me feel good all the time, what makes me feel the most comfortable, how am I entertained. That's self-centeredness. He continues to write, Our cross is not uh, an irritable husband or a cankerous wife. It is instead a symbol of death to self. But let me be clear, although I tried to be clear that I was being facetious about what I was going on, Oh, it's so hard, it's so difficult, I'm not trying to make light of the process because Jesus was very clear in the scriptures that it's not always going to be easy. You don't always, we shouldn't always expect huge benefits of discipleship, without there being demands that come along with discipleship. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote, "When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die." We are settling for Christianity that revolves around catering to ourselves when the central message of Christianity is actually about abandoning ourselves. Said to commit to being a disciple and discipleship of others is to call to loyal obedience. And so, what he's saying there is that true discipleship is a submission to the lordship of Christ that becomes a partner in life, a partner which is seen by others and experienced by others as well. It's not just a partnership that's all about me. Being a disciple of Christ is really about what others can see in me, if they can see Jesus Christ in me. What he's saying, what Dietrich is trying to say is that it's a continual and ongoing discipleship, is a continual and ongoing process. Me being discipled and being a true disciple of Christ, and then others being a disciple, me discipling them, is an ongoing process because of my relationship with Christ. It's ongoing. It's present tense, meaning to keep on following and allowing others to do the same of you and I mean all of Evangel So I'm speaking to every single one. If you try to weasel out and say, Oh, this message isn't for me, I got really bad news. This message is for everybody this morning, regardless if your heart is receiving it or not, regardless if you're feeling the prompting of the Spirit or not right now. This message is for everybody in First John. Chapter 2, verse 6, he writes, He who says he abides in me ought to himself, herself, also to walk just as Jesus walked. John 8, verse 31 says, And Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And if you follow Jesus today you receive this promise that's found in John chapter 12 verse 26 If anyone serves me let him then follow me and where I am there my servant will be not should be if it works out for you if if that's a this is good for you. A good time for you. Then y- you can be. No, you will be. Also, if anyone serves me, him, my father, or her, my father, will also. Just a contextual thing because I think this is really important, especially in this time of over um, sensitivity to wording and terms, culturally. The Bible was written in a time where society was male-dominated. And so that's why most of the time in your scriptures you will see it written to he, because that was culturally what was going on back then. We have a different view of male-female importance in Christianity in society now. So just know that when it says he in the Bible, it's not excluding females. It's just the way it was written. And so it's talking to everybody. I know for some people that can be a barrier, and so I wanted to right now remove that barrier. Not in my notes. So most of us in words... Most of us wish to follow him. How many here wants to follow Jesus? Put your hands up if you want to follow Jesus. If you want to follow his word, if you declare that whatever Jesus has commanded, I therefore also will go. Is that you? It's really easy to say that. And then it interferes with our plans. And then it's a completely different story. How many have experienced that? Am I the only one that has been that person? I'm like, oh, but that doesn't work right now for me to follow what you're asking. You're like, you're driving down the street and you see uh, someone that's walking down the street and you're already late for work or late for an appointment and you feel that tugging, like, I need to stop. I... I'm really honest about myself. You all know that about me. There was uh, back, it was like mid-October, I was driving up King Street here towards the church. It's the right name of the street right here, right? King Street? Yes. I'm learning Bathurst. Only taken three years to figure out the name of that one street. I was driving up the street, and how many of you have seen the gentleman that he uh, collects bottles and he pushes his cart up and down this King Street here? Not the only one. I've I've been here for three years. I've seen him a few dozen times on that street. And I remember that day, it wasn't a super pleasant day. And he didn't have his cart with him that day, but he still had the biggest bag of bottles that I've ever seen someone of his age trying to drag up the street. And, uh, like I said, I've seen him dozens and dozens of times, and he's just, like, part of the background. He's just someone that I, I see. It's like I'm driving up and down that street, and I expect that one out of five times, I'm going to see Dave Doucette on his, his porch, just something that's, that's there. And you never give a second thought about it. Well, I usually honk and wave if I see Dave, because... I like Dave. Hi, Dave. Um, But never really thought anything about this gentleman. And uh, I seen him a kilometer away, and the thought went through my mind, you need to stop, and you need to offer that gentleman help, and you need not to refuse it. And I don't remember what I had going on at work that day, but there was something that I needed to get back for. Or no, I think it was a district meeting that I had that day. A video conference call. And I just had excuses. And the thought was strong there. And I knew instantly, without, without a shadow of a doubt in my mind, I knew that it wasn't just Graham being a nice guy sort of thought. I knew that for some reason God wanted me to do it. But well, that's it, but. How many times have we butted? it? How many times in your life have you had a butt? And you've gone on because of a butt? How many opportunities, and we can't live, and we're not called to live looking in the rearview mirror and, and, and suffering from guilt and doubt and shame. That is not the life that uh, Jesus offers us. But there's another but. I can't help but wonder for myself if in my early 20s when I first entered the ministry I hadn't had a really big but that, but I don't want to follow you God. And I don't want to be a pastor because being a pastor is a really hard life. So, I'm going to go do this. But I don't need to follow you. I can't help but wonder how many people's lives I would have had the opportunity to touch, that Jesus would have had the opportunity to speak to if I hadn't have had that but moment. If when I was driving up King Street and I seen that gentleman if I hadn't have given in to that butt, Most of us wish to follow him until it interferes with our plans when we come up with a but that seems good enough in our own mind to get us off the hook. It's hard to talk to many about dying for Christ when we ourselves are struggling to live as Christ has commanded us to live. Okay, I'll serve you, Jesus, but it's not going to get in the way of my family life, or it can't conflict with my job, or it can't Conflict with my kids' extracurricular activities or or sports schedules. It can't conflict because I was planning on going and watching a movie with my best friend that night. We have to come to a point where we say, "Is it worth it?" Warren Wesby said, "Discipleship." is a matter of profit and loss. A question of whether we will waste our lives or invest it, or sorry, and invest our lives. Let me add to that quote, invest it, being our lives, in something that really matters. The person who does not follow Jesus will lose his life. It says in our main, in, in Mark Verse 35, forfeit his soul, verse 36, and cause Jesus to be ashamed, verse 38. The person who is now unwilling to give up anything for Jesus will one day give up the whole world. This is in verse 36. And here's a but for you, but then it's too late. How about that but? When you're so self-centered that you say, it's too crazy, it's too difficult for me. It's not worth the devotion. Then it's too late. Too late for you, it's too late for the people that you butted about. There's a severe warning in these verses that once we have spent our lives, we cannot buy them back. And this passage, first and foremost, is first and foremost about how to save and make the most of the opportunities that we have here on earth. And it's not so much, although it may have initially come across this way, it's not so much about how to be saved and go to heaven. The Roman emperor Lucius Septimus Severus, who was alive from 146 to 211, anyone alive then? Died with these words, I have been everything, sorry, yes, I have been everything and everything is nothing. A little urn will contain all that remains of the one whom the whole world was too little. What a sad thing to realize at the end of your life. Feel bad for the dude that it took him to his last days to realize what what seemed significant, what seemed worth prioritizing and biting about wasn't that important. The Lord is saying that whoever lives only to save their earthly, physical life, his ease and comfort and acceptance by this world will lose their opportunity at eternal life if that's all we focus on. But whoever is willing to give up one's earthly, worldly life and to suffer and die, if necessary, for Christ's sake. Not everyone is going to be, dare I say, very few of us will be asked to literally give up our life. At least, I certainly hope that. But if you're willing to go to that extreme, we'll find eternal life. And everyone has that personal choice. Although it's a command of us is still a personal choice that you and I need to make. That we can go for it now, go for the worldly things now, and then lose it in the forever. Or you can forsake the now and gain the forever. Jim Elliott, a missionary who was killed by tribespeople in a remote area of Ecuador is quoted as saying, man is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep in order to gain that which he can not lose. And so, as we conclude, let me ask you a couple questions for you to consider. Quietly to yourself, both online and here in person. Hear these questions and consider them seriously. What are you forfeiting in order to gain? What would be, what would possibly be worth having during this lifetime if to gain it you would exchange your soul, equally importantly, or another's? I'll ask those two questions one more time. What are you forfeiting in order to gain? There's both a positive and a negative connotation possibly to that question. Are you following after Christ's request of you, command of you to forfeit in a good way? Or are you ignoring that? What would possibly be worth having during this lifetime if to gain it you have to exchange your soul or another's? The cost of discipleship, no doubt, at times can feel great. But as I've tried to make clear this morning directly quoting God himself and his word. The cost of non-discipleship is always going to be greater. And Jesus is something, someone worth losing everything for. Many, including myself, have attempted to abandon that idea, excuse me, that idea, that Jesus isn't worth it. And I I can tell you, and many will also, that Jesus is 110% of the time worth losing everything for. And if we walk away from Jesus of the gospel, Then we're walking away from eternal riches. If we walk away because the cost of discipleship, the call to be a disciple of Christ and to in turn disciple others is too great then we're costing others the chance at eternal riches. The cost of non-discipleship is can be at times profoundly great or it can feel that way. But it's never greater than the cost of non-discipleship. For when we make this choice to abandon what are merely just trinkets in this world and we make this choice to respond to what is Come to seem as this radical and crazy invitation of Jesus. It's it's only then that we discover this infinite treasure of knowing and really experiencing Him here and now and operating in and through our lives. And don't don't mishear me this morning. I'm not saying that if you ch- choose not to stop and talk to that person on King Street that you're going to hell. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that the cost of buts at times in our lives is we lose out on eternity for the sake of it. I'm saying that it becomes a pattern in our lives that we get used to and many have got used to this pattern of buts. And then the Western church says, but why aren't I seeing God moving? Because you've determined the cost is too great, that the call is too crazy. But let me assure you, the consequences for that determination eternally are even greater. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44 says, the kingdom of heaven is a treasure hidden in a field with a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. I assure you, Jesus is the treasure of worth leaving everything for knowing him will turn sacrifice into sweetness and duty into delight even when your commitment to him may lead you to a cross he will be a treasure that shrouds that cross Enjoy, And you don't have to just take my word for it this morning. We're starting a journey in just a couple of weeks called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. It's a whole church j- journey. It's a journey that is going to teach us and lead us down a process of being a better disciple of Christ and the ultimate, or sorry, the overflow of that is going to be so that we are more, we are, so that we are better equipped to disciple others. Pastor Andrew 100% believes and I partner in him. We've had many, many discussions over the last four or five months that we need more than ever to become better at discipleship, him and I, both personally. And so we're leading from the front. We're saying, we can do better. I can do better. Him and I went through this book, went through this process ourselves over the course of the last year together. And it was tough sometimes. But partner with Christ. Hear what he is saying in his word to you this morning. This term, this idea, this being of discipleship, which is interwoven as I started to say, or as I said off the top this morning in our mission statement. Interwoven through all of our four E's. Join us in a journey of being better at that. Of prioritizing and becoming what Christ has asked us to become. You and I take this message to heart. It is time to major On the majors, a term that Pastor Andrew was the first to say. Won't you stand? Close your eyes just for the privacy of others. Maybe this morning you say, I have been struggling in this area. It seemed too difficult to me to answer God's answer Christ's command. Or you say, it's been something that in mind. I've desired to do, but I've just, I've been struggling. Know that your church family wants to partner with you, wants to see you flourish in Christ. And more than that, the Holy Spirit is there to equip you, to strengthen you, And so if that's you, you say you've been struggling in this area, put up your hand right now. It's not easy to admit that. In that act of honesty, I pray that God would see your heart right now. I pray that Holy Spirit would move and start working in your heart and in your mind right now. May you hear the words that He has spoken this morning. May they become ingrained in your heart and your mind as a door to step through to becoming more like Jesus, to be a disciple as of Jesus, so that you may begin the process of discipling others. God, I pray for this family evangel bathers i pray for each and every individual that is watching this message is listening to this message now or later holy spirit i pray that you would come upon them heavy that there would be a conviction of spirit lord god that there would be an unquenchable desire in our hearts to be more like you to follow after you to grow in you, knowing that the only possible overflowing of that is the moving of your spirits in Bathurst, and that it would no longer seem too hard, too crazy, too difficult to devote ourselves to you, to devote ourselves to following after your call to disciple all people. But because of this intimate experience we have with you, because of our dedication to knowing you and your word, to hearing you speak to us in our times alone with you, that we would feel your Holy Spirit's anointing and strengthening to go. God, I pray for this time that we're going to be going through emotionally healthy spirituality. Lord, I pray your anointing on this process. I pray your anointing on Pastor Andrew. I pray your anointing on the Connect Group leaders. God, I pray that this would be a key moment in the life of this church, Lord, where we would see a true revival which starts in our hearts, Lord. And I thank you for that. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for joining.